for me, like the making of, of the work, unfortunately, it hasn't seemed to have gotten any easier, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, every painting that I make seems to be a struggle. I feel like I have to relearn how to make a painting every time I make a painting. Maybe that's a benefit because... You know, I'm so forgetful. I can't remember the steps or something like that. Or uh, it seems fresh every time. It's like I keep rediscovering the same systems or something like that. You know, I like to think I'm treading new ground, hopefully. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 154th episode, Benjamin Duke joins us. He drove in from Michigan, and we talked all about his painting practice and what it entails. So please stay tuned for that. It's a very fun and interesting live conversation, so stay tuned for that. Of course, we do have a number of other podcasts and guests available that you can check out on studio break again each of those posts have images of work links to the website so you can find out more information and a healthy archive so please go ahead and check it out again we are on itunes so please follow the link subscribe to the podcast of course you can stay up to date with our facebook page so please like it you can follow our tumblr account that's studio-break.tumblr and of course tweet us at studio break and lastly i will be making a brief announcement a bit later on a sale that will commence this upcoming weekend on my website davidlinway.com so if you're interested in that just uh, stay tuned later aside from that you will be listening to ben duke shortly so stay tuned Welcome, Benjamin Duke. You're sipping coffee in in lovely Wheaton, Illinois. Lots of gray trees. So welcome. It's nice to have you here. Thank you so much. It's nice to be here. I'm here in your apartment. <laughs> Thanks for letting me in. Yeah, it's a little little frightening, um, but again, I trust you. So uh, uh, <laughs> uh, don't jump to any conclusions. But it's great to see some of your paintings around. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Like, again, just to kind of fill in everybody, where are you where are you in from? You're in from Michigan. That's right. East East Lansing, Michigan. I teach at Michigan State University, so I just drove on over. So here I am. Yeah. So and again, he brought all sorts of like uh, coffee, um, sustainable vegetables, and stuff like that. So again, if if anybody feels like driving in Cuban cigars, it's always appreciated. So yeah. And along with those, I also brought a a catalog for you. Oh, very cool. Very cool. So here you go. I'll try and throw you off by giving it to you right now. <laughs> awesome. Very cool. And again, um, one of the things that I always try to remind people of when we're starting to, uh, again, make sure you go visit uh, the website. Again, is it? BenDukeArt.com. Check it out. Peruse. Again, there's tons of drawings, tons of uh, paintings, new and old. Yeah, go there. Follow along while we're trying to talk about this stuff. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I think, I don't know. I, I think, think that's helpful, right? If you're just kind of have like a little obsessive day or maybe especially if you're going to like look at it before you're, you know, committing to the studio. And again. Yeah, that's right. What are you doing today? How are you doing? <laughs> just take a moment. Get a cup of coffee. Sit down with us. Sure, sure. <laughs> so where did you, where did you grow up? Did you grow up in the, in central or kind of middle America or? Uh, no, sir. I grew up in the West. I grew up in Utah. Oh. Yes. So, and how how long were you out there? Were, were you out there throughout, like, your, your whole kind of childhood? Uh, dr- I, I was. 
partially. I mean, I was actually born in Louisville, Kentucky, so that's kind of in the middle. But uh, my father was in the military, so we moved around a bunch and then kind of settled in Utah. That's where my parents were from. So it was, uh, you know, put two and two together, how we got there. And then, uh, hello, Utah, the mountains. Especially got excited seeing the drawings on your website and immediately was just kind of thinking like, okay, this is someone that's kind of like born drawing. But I, I again, I don't know. Scribbling I, maybe. Well, I, I just, I, again, I, I, I think it's something that I thought about too in terms of the paintings, you know, in terms of like, gosh, how does he put these together? And to see, especially like, you know, just the, the drawing side of it. Yeah. I couldn't help but wonder about that. Was that something that, were you a prolific drawer when you were growing up? And um, You know, I like to th- I like to think that I wasn't really drawing more or less than anyone else. But uh, uh, to give an example, I did have a, a, a desk. Uh, there was this great big pink desk that I would draw at. And uh, one drawing that I found years later in a stack of uh, other drawings that were just like in my mother's attic, they just found their way there eventually. But I found this drawing and it was of a cliff with someone jumping off the cliff, diving headfirst into the jaws of a shark, <laughs> followed or pursued by a dragon that was blowing fire over its back. So, I mean, that's the kind of drawing that I was making. And when I when I found it there, I was astounded. I barely remember making it or maybe i invented the memory of making it on in in that moment but i think that it reveals something about like you know how i was thinking then and how maybe that filters into like where i am now can we point to one drawing that i made when i was three years or you know four or five six years old and say you know it's all there maybe yeah well and again i think that's something that's interesting but it also kind of makes me wonder too how much of your uh, childhood was spent like in science fiction land and like Some I don't know fa- not fantasy <laughs> land I, I feel bad saying like you were in a fantasy right yeah um, Kirk Vonnegut but it was like storytelling and just kind of like that I don't know there's such a uh, there's so much that's possible I think especially when you're young and when you see were you watching all sorts of uh, wonderful movies about space and cartoons and pop culture and Battlestar Galactica prominently featured in my household right on v <laughs> remember when they would tear their skin off and eat budgies terrifying but but was that i mean was that something that you were like really like into like pop culture and uh you, you know i mean i think those kinds of things were just there i you know it's like i i woke up and found myself here you know where did i where did i come from i don't know and uh they were just you know in the air you know, so uh, as a kid, it's like, you know, V, for example, it is it is something that I watched and it's something that I actually wasn't allowed to watch. And I would sneak out of bed and and go and turn the, the television on. And it was this really big television, uh, black and white, and uh, it had like wood trimming around it. And I would sit on the couch and watch V, right? And I'd be so scared that I wouldn't be able to get up off the couch and go and turn it off. You know, I don't know, you know... Uh, how much of how formative is that i mean for the paintings maybe not so much but maybe more for like how i start to how i start to navigate my own mind potentially well yeah and i guess i'm thinking about that you know like i mean i drew a lot of comics and stuff like that when i was a kid you know like yeah. just kind of interested in superheroes and stuff so yeah how do you, how do you feel like that has found its way into your work now to be honest it makes me just think about how different things superhero are superhero houses no i think i think you know i think as a someone that has taught drawing so much i feel like i've gotten 
a different appreciation for really just what it takes is just time, you know? Yeah. Um, I always thought that like somebody had to be like really smart or like talented. Yeah. Um, and I think obviously those things are important, but I think that just kind of being focused and, you know, working through something is kind of the most important aspect of that. And so I don't know, I I don't know that it never necessarily kind of like taught me anything other although I guess I would say just to kind of be reliant, you know, self-reliant, you know, like if you want to figure out how to draw a cape, and to kind of have that undulating effect with like the folds and stuff like that. I can teach you, you how know. to do that. Right. But I mean, that's something that you kind of like learn to kind of investigate from something like uh, like comic book drawing, trying to draw these characters. So certainly that stuff, you know, gets changed up when you're you know, yeah. being, at, you know, in life drawing or something like that kind of environment. So I guess, yeah, I, I think I was just asking all of that in just terms of like what you were kind of interested in um, as you're kind of like growing up. So, yeah, you know, I mean, to to try and take it on and maybe, you know, directly, you know, I, I understand that, you know, my childhood is a place that I come from. Mm-hmm. Right. And it is a place that uh, uh, has a trace, you know, but I, th- I feel like as far as my art making goes, then uh you know, that really started to take off much later. You know, I don't identify as someone who was like, you know, the, uh, the talented art kid. In fact, I'm not sure I believe in talent at all. And I would want to follow along your path and say that, you know, time accumulates in the body. So if you want to, you want to do something, then start trying to do it. The more you do it, the better you'll get, the easier it'll be. Right. Sure. And, uh, for me, like choosing, uh, to study art really felt like, a real, a real choice. So, I mean, that of course happened more in college, I think like it does for many, for many people. But I, I started out as a philosophy and English uh, major. And then I did that for a couple of years, right. Until I realized that I'm much more of a reader than a writer. And so I, I, uh, and I used to drool over the, this is back when we had paper catalogs. I used to drool over the, uh, the names of the art classes. Mm -hmm. So it'd be like, Drawing one, Ooh. <laughs> you know, life drawing three, that sounds great. And so, you know, eventually I was able to convince myself that that's where I really wanted to be. And when I chose to do that, then, and we can get into that choice if, you, if you're if you really interested in that. Uh, but when I finally made that choice, then it was all art all the time. I'd gotten all of my uh, uh, pre required courses out of the way and so it was like then starting starting there it was four years of studio you know so mm-hmm. i was in college for six years undergrad six years see there you go you yeah. can you can go on from there it, it gets better yeah from from undergrad <laughs> or you mean from childhood oh just from the stigma of being in college forever i think that's a plot of uh you know various oh, yeah. pop culture movies but if you're um, in college now stay there yeah, stay I, there. I do kind of agree with that. Six years, you know. Try try talking to the postman about painting, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or some environment where nobody, you know, just give me give me my meal. I don't have time for this, you know. To kind of ha- that's right, that's uh, right. Go back to the studio. So what are you doing here? Go back to the studio. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like there's going to be a lot of editing where there's going to be things that are for our enjoyment. And then, yeah. you know, for a lot of people are like, ugh. Um, but um, so, leave it in. <laughs> but what kind of what kind of things were were you interested in making at the time when you when you started this uh, this journey? Was it mostly like the kind of typical stuff that you have in, in intro classes and stuff like that? Did do the intro classes. 
But I think that my interests probably, I mean, if I want to encapsulate it in something, when I was uh, uh, 19-ish, you know, I uh, uh, went to Europe on one of those um, Eurorail Pass things where you just go, you Mm -hmm. know, and uh, so I bought a Eurorail Pass and then I just traveled around Europe, right? And I didn't make a plan. I just showed up, would get on a train and go somewhere. So when I would arrive in a place, then I would just wander around. And in wandering around in Europe, you're going to end up at the museums eventually. And I was blown away by the art. You know, I mean, it was like uh, uh, the, the sculpture, the painting, mm-hmm. and there's so much of it. So, you know, I wanted to learn, I wanted to learn that when I came back. And so uh, I tried to, when I was starting, I was trying, I kind of gravitated toward teachers that were teaching that kind of thing. You know, so in particular, if you want to talk about, you know, my teachers, it was like uh, Paul Davis was teaching a kind of schematic, you know, Florentine kind of approach to drawing. And uh, I loved his classes. I took his uh, uh, life drawing class probably four or five times, you know, so... Does that does that get at it? Yeah, no. I mean, is that something that becomes like a second nature to you at that point too, where you're kind of like in that mode where the schematic approach, the Marvel way? Well, just it kind of like related to like what we were talking about before. You know, like it, it kind of de- like when you realize that it mostly is just work. You know, it kind of demystifies that idea of like someone being like a, a genius artist. You know, so oh, I'm yeah. asking, like, did you? just kind of become obsessive in terms of like being able to try to draw representationally and explore all the different things that you could come up with in terms of composing from that. Right. The genius. I am a genius. (laughs) (laughs) No talent. I already said that I don't believe in talent. And, Mm -hmm. you know, let's, let's like, uh, I like to think of it in, in this way. If we drew a big circle, right, then maybe we have to leave room for the genius and maybe they're outside of this circle that I've just drawn. Right. Uh, But, Within that circle resides all the rest of us, you know, and if uh, if I'm in the circle and I've kind of got some kind of head on my shoulders, if I work hard, then I can get better at the thing that I'm trying to get better at. So I think of, you know, I'm, I'm with you on that, where it is like tenacity and work. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mentioned that I had to take that class four times. Why sure. do you think I had to take it that fourth time? <laughs> you, know what I, you know what I mean? It's like, right. uh, uh, for me, like the making of, of the work, unfortunately, it hasn't seemed to have gotten any easier, mm-hmm. you know? So uh, every painting that I make seems to be a struggle. I feel like I have to relearn how to make a painting every time I make a painting. Maybe that's a benefit because, you know, I'm so forgetful. I can't remember the steps or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or uh, it seems fresh every time. It's like I keep rediscovering the same systems or something like that. But uh, or, you know, I like to think I'm trading new ground, hopefully. No. So, I mean, if we're if we're talking about, you know, what is what does it mean to make a work of art? Right. Isn't that where we're at? How do you make something? How do you find the thing that you are going to make? How do you situate that thing in a larger context? You know, like, what are you doing? No, really, like, what are you doing? What am I doing? I don't know. You know, it's like, here here I am, finding myself here, sitting in the studio, looking at the thing. What am I going to do? You know, why am I going to do one thing over another thing? How do I find that? You know, and it ends up being a, 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 a web of a sort, 
right? Where it's like I take, you know, a little bit of an idea here and a little bit of an idea there. But what is an idea? You know, why do I have that sense that the ideas are out there somewhere where I need to go and find them? Right. Or do I wait and wait for the ideas to come to me? That never seems to work for me. Sure. sure. So it's like I'm looking for you ideas. If you're out there, (laughs) why don't you like send me an email or something? (laughs) It's it's so interesting to hear like um, artists talk about that struggle because it doesn't. That, you know, like we've talked about this before, you know, even just since you got in, we got into this, you know, wonderful discussion about uh, political culture and all these other things. But it's yeah. so interesting to me to listen to artists talk about looking at it from the outsider and you go, man, you know, this person's just diligent and they just know what they're doing. But that that struggle every time to kind of, you know, work through something um, right. is so real, you know, and I think that's what I like so much about the idea of just do kind of doing the work is when you kind of remove that idea of, of feeling like the, I don't know, the fear or the regret or like, oh my gosh, this is going to be a challenge. Right. Once you kind of commit to doing that, it's amazing to kind of see, you know, what comes out of that. And I guess to kind of bring it back around um, to like what you were kind of like finishing up then in terms of like undergraduate school, mm-hmm. what, what kind of, did you have like a, a capstone, you know, uh, exhibition or like a, a senior exhibition that you had like a, a series of paintings or things uh, that you're interested in? They didn't do that where I was from. So they oh, didn't man. make you have like a senior <laughs> exhibition. However, I did have, there was another little gallery on campus that was, uh, uh, in the student union or hidden behind the student union. And I did have a little exhibition there, you know, um, uh, there, you know, you can actually go on my website and if you drop down to the earliest stuff, you know, some of those first paintings were the last paintings that I made as an undergraduate. And I think that something that is, uh, in those paintings that I still think a lot about now is, uh, you know, a way of dividing up space, you know, in the way that like a division of space starts to, uh, uh, be a kind of, um, uh, structure or architecture for the narrative you know so it's like in my mind if i want to separate these things out there's like you know the depicted image you know this kind of story that i'm telling a story that i'm uh, telling myself again you know uh uh and then you know the joy of just dividing up a space you know so i think of someone like Corn, he seems to love to divide up spaces. I can actually, you know, when I look at, I have your painting behind me. So, I, you know, <laughs> I think of Corn a lot when I, you know, looked at your website and when I look at these, you know, mm-hmm. you know, and I, another thing about Diebenkorn, um, uh, in addition to the other thing I haven't said about Corn, is that um, uh, those Ocean Park series, he did hundreds of those things. So talk about someone who just like goes to the studio and then works, you know, and I, I don't know, uh, particularly like how quickly he was making those things but the ones that i've seen they feel worked you Mm -hmm. know and they feel revised which is like you know they're have beautiful surfaces you know and and uh so if you're near one of those go see them go to the museum uh uh but to get back to where i was dividing space right so uh for me you know there's there's a painting um that I call Ship of Fools. Of course, I'm alluding to the Bosch, right? I love Bosch. It's really structured around a triangle. So it's just like a painting about triangles, really. Or it's also about a painting, you know, it's also a painting about, you know, a bunch of people doing foolish things in a boat. Thank you, Bosch. So there's people that are like, smoking and drinking in the boat. They've got a a horse slash donkey in the boat, some kind of hybrid horse with donkey ears. 
Uh, there's nakedness, which is excellent in painting <laughs> and in life. And uh, uh, so, so what kind of foolish things can you do? But then it's all geared around, you know, the triangle, a very stable kind of composition, mm-hmm. you know. So in thinking about the painting, you know, I'm thinking about what does the space feel like? What is the space itself doing in maybe more of an abstract mode, you know? How does the space position you as a viewer, right? Uh, is it drawing you in? Is it pushing you out? You know, is it is it somewhere in between? Uh, and then there's the narrative, you know, so it's like multiple games that I'm playing within the image. How do you manage to kind of come up with what you're going to paint in terms of um, content? I mean, is it something that you are, you know, using photographs as references? Are there like particular memories or instances? Are there people that sit for you that like kind of get turned into part of a painting or how, how do how do some of these paintings kind of come together in terms of compositions yeah. all of the above so a, a mixture of all those things yeah it certainly is yeah sometimes the idea comes first sometimes i just go to the studio and i'll start drawing abstractly mm-hmm. you know and i think you know many of those many of those like drawings in various stages are on the website if you're interested to see but you know sometimes it just comes out of nothingness you know uh uh, where I just start scribbling and then I wait for something to emerge, kind of like sifting things out of out of uh, uh, images in clouds, you know, or Da Vinci's uh, plaster wall. But then there's also the uh, you know the the flip side of that, which is a kind of you know right from life kind of ultimate control kind of thing where it's like here's here's something I'm looking at and then here's the mark that I'm making that I'm trying to reach out and touch that thing with you know and as an undergrad if cuz we're still kind of in that territory mm-hmm. I was I was really obsessed with you know someone like Egon Schiele you know a great mm-hmm. great person to look at especially as an undergrad you know and I uh I I had seen a um exhibition of his of drawings in Washington DC um, I can't remember, maybe it was in the Corcoran, but it was a room full of portraits and they were all very modest, you know, like they all fit within a 12, 12 inch square kind of mm-hmm. thing. I mean, they were small, small drawings, but some of them were, it looked as if he had done them, done them completely blind, you know, so it was like this perfectly proportioned blind contour drawing, not the typical kind of Egon Schiele that you see reproduced in the books where he's a little more erratic, you know, but even in those erratic drawings, you can still feel the intensity of that line. Right. And, you know, I might think of the one where there's the model, the mirror. And so you get, you know, the back of the model, the front of the model, and then him. Right. Mm -hmm. And his, the intensity of his gaze, right. Looking in the mirror, you know, looking at the model, looking back at himself, you know, it's such a, a, a beautiful drawing and the line, carries the intensity as well you know it's the intensity in the gaze it's also in the intensity in the mark right so it's that thing like coming together how does that how does that get embedded in the work itself right the work itself is just a material thing right so whatever you do is is there it's recorded there you can't hide from it Mm -hmm. you know so if you want to know what you're doing just look at your paintings (laughs) (laughs) I mean, really look at them, you know, and then there it is. You can't hide. So for me to get back on track with this Egon Schiele story, um, I became obsessed with this notion of doing a blind contour drawing that was in perfect proportion without ever looking at it, 
you know, and then the sensation that that would bring up while you're making the drawing is intense, you know, because I want to look, you know, I want to check the work, you know, I want it to be, you know, uh, uh, something that I can revise, you know, I want to get that feedback where it's like, no, you're okay, you're doing good, it looks like the thing, you mm-hmm. know, you're, you're a good draftsman, you know, <laughs> look, look how good you are, all that kind of stuff, right? Instead, I have to just like sit with the pain and the anguish or the, the temperature, your temperature rising in the body of, of staying on target, staying focused, you know? So, uh, the way that I had described that in my own mind was just thinking about risk. What kind of risk are you taking in a drawing? You know? So for me, it was, uh, how far can I go before I have to have to look at the thing? Yeah. You know, it's interesting to hear you kind of describe this process or, you know, especially to hear other people describe it for sure. Um, so how, how did you wind up like going on a graduate school? Is that something that you, you knew you wanted to do after this? Um, where were you at? My thinking was, uh, I want to go to graduate school because I want to be a painter. I went to the Maryland Institute College of Art. I went to the Hofburger School of Painting. I studied with Grace Hardigan and Dominique Nahas. It was great. I did learn doubt there. Thank you, Grace Hardigan. Rest in peace. You know, and when I was an undergrad, I didn't really like feel like I could own that that kind of signifier, that title, you know, the artist or be an artist. I am an artist. I would call myself a painter. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that that has a, 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 a there's a kind of like a safe zone in there where uh, where I didn't have to embody it fully right from the beginning. You know, mm-hmm. I was kind of and maybe in graduate school, it's like I was really proud of myself after undergraduate and uh, I felt like I was a good painter, you know, and I felt like I went to graduate school and I learned how to doubt myself as a painter, <laughs> but I learned how to call myself an artist, you know, and I think there's something about almost a, a turn in process. You know, it's it's like um, maybe a turn that happens uh, uh, dare I say it in, in the sciences, you know, where you adopt a kind of provisional worldview where it's like, this is as much as I know now, but I have to do an experiment to push that knowledge, to make sure that it's actually something I can hold on to, you know? So everything starts to crumble under me where it's like, uh, uh, the rules that I had learned where it's like, okay, do A, B, C, and D. Suddenly, I I uh, can't rely on those rules anymore, and I have to question the very, like, foundation. When you're trying to think about how to narrow that into something, you know, like some yeah. kind of work, something that amounts to something, you know, you've got to figure out what it is that you're interested in. So I think it makes sense, obviously, in terms of that to kind of, you know, spend that time in graduate school to to figure out what that is, you know, what... Right. And again, that path is always changing, too. But maybe like you're kind of alluding to maybe that's something that you're learning how to allow that doubt in to kind of help also kind of shift what the work is going to continue to evolve into or. Right. You know, for me, I feel like it really was more about being learning to be on the path or learning to have a studio practice, Mm -hmm. you know, to be able to say studio practice. You know, what does that mean? It means you're in the studio. So it becomes like painter as verb It becomes painter. Uh, uh, or maker even, you know, where it's like I even drifted in graduate school and I made stop motion animation, which I actually showed you before we Mm -hmm, started. mm -hmm. I made more sculptural kinds of things, you know, and this is something that I, you know, I was really more honed in on painting as an undergrad, you know, but uh, it's like moving, moving the bar a little bit from wanting to make 
wanting to have made like the perfect painting, if there is such a thing, mm -hmm. to being more into uh, uh, like the making as a process itself. I don't know if that I don't know if that makes any sense, <laughs> and maybe it doesn't. But let me jump let me jump ahead before you get to the next question. <laughs> and um, I'll, I'd like to read my artist statement that I wrote when I was in graduate school. Oh yeah, can this I do that? Be, this will be a fun one. <laughs> David was complaining about artist statements before we started. So, so uh, we'll see if this pisses him off. Oh, God. <laughs> you know, there's a fun... This is something I wrote when I was in graduate school, but it's something that I, I've tried to rewrite, and I can't seem to rewrite it. You know, so I always, like, come back to it whenever I can. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, so anyway, here I go. Statement. In my paintings, I ask myself, is this the way the world is? I reshape and retool my painting experience to answer that question. But while the question begins with the world, it ends with the work itself. Is this the way the world is in this work? The search is for the world in painting and painting in the world. Painting worlds, painting's world. Am I in the world or is the world in me? I allude to my life, to writer's works, and to artist's imagery. It is my hope that this record of illusion conjures and creates the same. I'm referring to text, theory, idea, but I'm also finding myself already there, looking out to see in. So, I mean, there's something about, there's something about a kind of reflexive quality in that that um, I find useful, where it's, there's a kind of slippage, you know? So it's not that I'm, it's not that I'm trying to make paintings that have a one-to-one -one relationship with any particular idea or uh any particular universe universe <laughs> sorry <laughs> potentially thank you <laughs> uh but rather it's it's like go to the studio and start to make the painting and and uh and work on work on the painting itself. And so what happens for me is like things start to layer up, you know, where before I was talking about, you know, separating out the narrative from thinking about, you know, the, the abstraction of the work itself or how you divide up a picture plane, you know, so it's like the making of a painting, you know, and so it becomes about how do I frame a thing, you know, frame an idea, uh, and then also just frame the imagery itself. You know, we're looking through a frame, you know, do we call it a window? Do we call it a wall? Do we call it a mirror? You know, it's like, uh, I'm, I'm looking out of my eyes <laughs> and I like to, I like to let those worlds kind of blend together. You know, the looking out of my eyes and the looking into the painting, you know, it's like, where am I in this, this, this constant illusion? You know, it's like, if I'm doing that, if I'm doing the drawing and I'm just focusing just on on the thing that I'm drawing on the still life, right? I can play games, start to play games with my perception where things can flatten out and I can just look at the thing and divide the thing up in terms of its positive and negative relationships where form and not form become a, a continuum of the same thing, which is flatness, right? And so it's like the language of the, of the paint itself starts to map itself onto the world. It does that same thing, you know, as, a, as it maps it, maps itself onto our ideas catch me if i start to no, I, <laughs> drift off into I, nonsense no no I, th I think it makes sense and you know i kind of it almost is like a multi-universe kind of perspective you know like you're kind of looking at things 
on all these different planes and, and kind of putting them together and kind of falling into that process and, you know, letting the, the, the work kind of dictate what it's going to be. And I think that becomes really interesting, you know. Let me throw something else at you. Another thing I always love to do, especially when I'm doing a, um, a gallery talk, mm-hmm. is I love to read poetry. I was a uh, failed English major, so mm-hmm. I won't read my own poetry. <laughs> but uh, if you'd allow me. Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. I love to read poetry in public. <laughs> and I love to make poetry voice, so prepare yourself. <laughs> this is a poem by Rumi. All day I think about it. Then at night I say it. Where did I come from? And what am I supposed to be doing? I have no idea. My soul, is from el- my soul is from elsewhere, I'm sure of that, and I intend to end up there. This drunkenness began in some other tavern. When I get back around to that place, I'll be completely sober. Meanwhile, I'm like a bird from another continent, sitting in this aviary. The day is coming when I fly off. But who is it now in my ear who hears my voice? Who says words with my, va- who says words with my mouth? Who looks out with my eyes? I cannot stop asking. If I could take, taste one sip of an answer, I could break out of this prison for drunks. I didn't come here of my own accord, and I can't leave that way. Whoever brought me here will have to take me home. This poetry, I never know what I'm going to say. I don't plan it. When I'm outside the saying of it, I get very quiet and rarely speak at all. Thanks for letting me stumble over that. I couldn't read my own writing. <laughs> well, and kind of unpack that for me a little bit again. I mean, how do you how do you see that in in terms of the way that it might influence your work or kind of shift your work or give you I don't know a different perspective in terms of how you're gonna maybe explore it in, in a painting? Is that like part of a process or? Well, I think it has a lot to do with um, what my aim is with the work. If mm-hmm. you want to call it that, you mm-hmm. know, it's like what am I trying to do? I'm for me, it's it's not a direct one-to-one. I'm not trying to record reality. I'm not even necessarily trying to record directly some idea that I have, you know. So in that sense, you know, I, I think I'm much more of a naive realist, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like maybe in the philosophical sense of the term where it's like if I – if I think that I'm a reasonable person and then I think that you're a reasonable person, then if I was to put all of the evidence that I use to come to my conclusions in front of you, then you would come to the same conclusions as me. You know, that's something that's kind of patently false, you know? So it's in a way, you know, I have these like cartoons exploding into the imagery in my paintings, but really to me, they seem more real than the real. (laughs) So, well, and I, th- but I think I don't know. I don't think again. I think that's close to some things that we've been talking about, especially right. like with how absurd real. life gets. You know, I mean, especially with all the all the headlines that you see for something. Yeah, that's right. The way that the room feels around you, you know, or the way that I'm inside of my skin, inside of my clothes, inside the room, looking at a painting, making a painting. I guess to kind of address, like, especially like some of the ways that like you kind of work through these, I mean, is it, is it something where you might have like a number of different works that you're, you're kind of exploring at the same time? Do they, do they kind of, do you kind of work in series? Is it something where you might have these different ideas running parallel and they kind of sneak into other paintings? Cause it sounds like that idea of being really into the moment and, um, allowing that into your studio is really, really important. You know, just based on, you know, what we've been talking about. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe I spin it in that way when I read poetry or, mm-hmm. or, 
you know, I love poetry, so, you know, I have more if you want. <laughs> I, want I want to read more. <laughs> uh, but actually, when it comes to the studio, I'm, I find that the more rigid I am, the better, mm-hmm. you know, so I have to put rules in place, you know, so I'm, I'm very schedule oriented. I'll go in the studio pretty much at the same time every day. <clears throat> right now I'm on sabbatical, so I get to do that. Thank you, mm-hmm. MSU. Thank you. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> uh, and uh, I I try and go in there and work. And when it's going well, then the work just happens, you know. And then it's like uh, uh, the day slides by and I break for lunch. And then I break break when the fam comes home. And, and then maybe I get some time before dinner. And then, you know, you go to bed, you wake up, and you do it again, mm-hmm. right? When it's not going well, then my system... Uh, is that I do 20 minutes on, five-minute break. It's kind of like a standard life-drawing system. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'll just set a timer, you know, and so I'll I'll work for 20 minutes, and then when I take a break, I turn any music or podcast or whatever it is off, and I'll just sit in a chair and stare at it and breathe for five minutes, take a breath, deep breath, and then get back to it, you know. And then uh, usually that'll get me back into the groove of things you know, where then I don't have to set the timer again and, and things start to happen, you know. So it's like I'm going to try and force the issue. I'm not going to wait around for something to happen. I'm going to try and make it happen, you know. Do you have like, um, I don't know, particular like compositions in your head that get worked out in terms of a drawing that gets turned into a painting? Um, do you physically make um, things like uh, uh, collages or use other tools to kind of help motivate that? Or is it all kind of like drawing based that gets turned into a painting? For a long time, it was all drawing based. It still, I think comes out of a collage, collage aesthetic. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, the spaces are very collaged kinds of spaces and they are literally collaged from different sources. So when you were describing earlier, like what kinds of sources do I use? I do use photo based sources. I do use life sources, uh, I'll work from the drawings. I will do a collage every now and again and uh, um, uh, try and bring it all together until it like feels on point, which is which is uh, uh, a tougher kind of space to describe maybe, but let me give it a shot. <laughs> Go for it. Yeah, I want it. Okay. okay. So, uh, I mean, it does have a lot to do with like the image itself kind of emoting a kind of quality that meets the narrative of the work, you know? So it's like the, the composition has to be right. So what does it mean for it to, to feel right? Or, you know, and, and some of that has a lot to do with what we've described earlier, where there's an underlying kind of geometry in the work or, um, the work in, emits a kind of space, you know, so, uh, that space ends up being, um, I think described really well, maybe by someone, if we can talk about a philosopher, someone like Marlu Ponti. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, as a phenomenologist, he's always talking about corporeality, which is just mean, which just means like your body, you know, mm-hmm. and how we understand the world because we are in embodied we are in bodies you know so i like that notion of how a painting interacts with with the viewer on that visceral kind of level so when we're engaging with paintings there is the illusion that's created there right it's like the illusion of an image uh or just the illusion of light the illusion of space the illusion of in front and behind 
right? It's like always kind of there. If it's very large, uh, does it, do you want to move back from the painting to get the best view or do you want to move up to see some kind of like detailed moment in the painting? Right. So I, I like to call that, and that's, I think an idea directly from Marlu Ponti. Someone go find it. But I like to call that the Goldilocks theory of like art viewing, mm-hmm. you know, it's like I need to position my body in the, the, the best position to view the work. Right. So because of that, there's a way in which the painting itself is reaching out and moving you as a viewer, right? So the painting, you are working on the painting, you're engaging it because you have to look at it, right? But it is also looking back in a way and working on you, you know? And so when I say like that notion of the painting being on point or uh, the space being right, having the right kind of edge, then it's something about that. It's something about feeling there's a resonant tension between um, uh, uh, the ideas and then the space of the work itself. What do you think about those? I, that stuff? Well, it just strikes me that maybe again, there's this just real love of process and exploration of painting. Um, and you know, just kind of allowing these, uh, the, this relationship to yeah. kind of develop and, and, and inform, um, you know, what, what changes you're going to make and how you're going to alter things. Uh, yeah. Paint, painting is repainting. Even though, you know, some of the paintings have uh, a depicted reality that breaks down, you know, there is a way in which I want that that fissure in in the painting um, to be a response. Right. So it's you know, there's a way in which um, an environment might be used as a setup for something else to happen. And then, you know, it's like I'm already I'm, I'm the one that's making the thing. So I have my like way, my typical kind of way of working, but I like to try and blend things so that maybe you don't know where they came from, where you can't, you can't tell if it's painted from life or if it's painted from a photo or if it's in, and I'll flip things around and try and counterintuitively paint things that should be painted from a photo, just paint them from life, you know, or paint them or paint the thing from a photo and then bring a model in and work from the model or bring the model in. And then you get that I'm bored model mm-hmm. <laughs> expression on their face, you know? And so then I'll go and I'll piece together a face where it's like, I'll take, you know, like the eyes from a source over here, you know, and the chin from a source over there. So that then it it, it ends up being like literally this kind of like monstrous hybrid of a person rather than rather than actually the person that I had in, you know, or from just, just from the photos that I use, which I do use. Then also there's, uh, the paintings, um, end up being revised over time themselves where the idea starts to shift. So, you know, as soon as I feel like I've got, uh, enough information, you know, in a drawing or p- perhaps a collage, then I'll get right into the painting and, uh, uh, there's a lot of things that get worked out in the painting itself, you know, and, uh, even lately I've been repainting older paintings, you know, cutting things, cutting things up. Uh, and I've really enjoyed being able to demolish things that, you know, I always, always bothered me, always kind of hated, or, you know, I'd bump up against a deadline, some exhibition that I just, I needed to put the work in. I didn't feel like it was really there, you know, things that stay in the studio. It's like you're, you can end up back on the chopping block, you know? So for me, the paintings are kind of like machines for thinking. And hopefully there's some of that in, 
in the viewing of the paintings themselves. The end. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, was, I, I think I was going to say like there's. It seems like there's always like a scenario. There's always like something set up to kind of react to, you know. Right. And, and granted, I mean, I know that that seems like um, you could say that for anything, but I think about it again because like the subjects will change so so differently from from painting to painting. Um, you know what I mean? But again, it's all always comes back to some in some ways how humans are interacting with something or with each other or maybe, you know, again, there's a number of paintings where you make an appearance. Um, so there's again, you very literally kind of take a place in the work. But I don't know, is is so then is it just like a challenge then in terms of like how that's going to be different for this this painting? And then again, trying to make sure that you're in a mode where you're open and if you're not, then you you know, throw that rigid time, time, you know, element in there where you're going to kind of work for 20 minutes and look back at it. Um, there's a series of work that I did. Um, and when I talk about series, it's like, I'll find myself in a series, you know, where it's like, I keep working through the ideas. As soon as I've kind of figured out what the paintings are about, then that's usually when the series ends. Mm -hmm. But there's a series, um, that I titled awakening a self-identity matrix. It does feature me prominently. <laughs> and I think that it gets at something that I'm trying to get after in my painting writ large. Right. And so, um, uh, it is like this idea of awakening, right? So, uh, awakening meaning, you know, how do I learn something new or how do I see outside of my own paradigm? You know, so, uh, uh, in that series, I had, it's ended up being a depiction of like various kinds of awakening, you know, or, uh, so the first one, um, is someone falling off a bicycle, right? And uh, in that kind of the violence of the unexpected, the accident, right? You find yourself moving from uh, the narrative that you have been living your life in, like I'm going to school or I'm going here or I'm going there. I'm riding down this big hill in the Castro, whatever it is, mm -hmm. uh, to just being material, you know, a certain amount of mass moving at a certain speed that's going to impact, you know, the the ground or a car or something else, you know, you become just material, you know. So it's that shift from I am a, I am a person to I am a thing in the world, you know. So that's one. That's uh, awakening is identity matrix number one. To just break down the title, you know, we talked about awakening a little bit, you know, which to me is like. How do you, how do you get outside of your own rigid kind of thinking? You know, mm -hmm. how do you start to prod the edges of your own paradigm to the identity matrix part, which is coming from, you know, an idea in mathematics, uh, identity matrices, but the idea being, uh, that you can put, you put a, <laughs> you put a number in or, uh, a, a quantity and then a whole bunch of stuff happens, but then you get the same you get the same quantity out. I'm not a mathematician, but I once talked to a person named Ben at a bar who was, and uh, uh, he told me about that. That's where that comes from in the title. But the beauty of that is it's like, you know, you do all this, all this work inside the parentheses, you know, but then what gets returned is just the same uh, value. Right. So uh, this notion, we have this sense that, you know, the more I work, at trying to discover what is the real or whatever your question happens to be, then the more I should be able to find like an, an answer as if the answer isn't just putting you right back at the beginning, mm -hmm. you know? So just because you feel like 
in your heart of hearts that you have had an awakening, it doesn't mean that you haven't just awakened in the greater delusion, right? Okay. So, <laughs> and again, you know, maybe this is like a description of the way that I, you know, the kind of, uh, the, the kind of way that I confront information in the world, mm-hmm. you know, let's call it a reality check. Right. So there's this way in which, you know, I live in my own head quite a bit and I have this like ongoing narrative that I'm telling myself. We described that a little bit with our, our trip down the Castro. Right. Mm-hmm. And then often there's a, there's a reality check. If I drift too far outside of like, then the world has a way of, of letting you know that you have drifted. Right. And that's, that's real. And my, I, you know, to point back to my childhood again, it's like, I feel like, you know, growing up was just this series of reality checks where I realized like the way that I thought the world was, was, was not the way that the world was, you know, that like describes my early childhood education. It describes how many relationships it describes, you know what I mean? Sure. To just like roll it all up in a ball. So awakening as identity matrix number two, it, it was uh, me stripped naked as a kind of like in a public space. So it's like this absolute vulnerability in the way that when your ideas are stripped away, then uh, you are, you become vulnerable to the world. And then there's a finger kind of like reaching in from the right and it's pointing out something new, you know, and then it has like, you know, there's the kind of like the city scene in the background and it's something that just kind of stacks on top of each other, you know, a kind of self-transforming environment back there. And then uh, there's this like uh, uh, gaggle uh, of cartoons that are like exploding out, you know, uh, starting to, for me, you know, signify various things. It's not any one, any one thing necessarily, but it's like they'll start to be like the representation of, you know, the kind of cartoon version of the world that I live in, you know, a cartoon version of, of something that's inside that I'm projecting outward, or it's the way that my ideas are blocking me from seeing the thing that's being pointed out to me, you know, so there's this kind of like game, you know, there is, there can be a riddle in, in the work, you know, in that way sometimes, you know, but then there's also the way like when I was making the thing, it's like, where did that come from, you know, is this the story that I'm telling myself after I've made the thing? Yes. Is it the story that motivated me? Parts of it, maybe. You embrace the chaos. <laughs> I fear, I think I fear the chaos, right? I want to leave people with like an impression of, you know, yeah. again, like how you want it working through these. So to kind of think about that related to, to other bodies of work, mm-hmm. you kind of talk about this process of, uh, you know, working through something, coming back to the real world, essentially, mm-hmm. and, and, and about how, you know, each painting might be different then in, in terms of circumstance or, you know, how something came together. Um, is that process then always kind of like evolving to kind of be open and receptive to that, to kind of creating these uh, settings, these narratives, these these things. And then that's just a continuation of what you're, what you're focusing on. And again, I mean, there's tons of work on here. So it it seems like that to kind of relate different bodies of work, it seems like that's a big umbrella, you know, is to kind of be open and to kind of allow that all into the work to kind of generate a new series, a new piece. And then, you know, it just kind of keeps repeating itself that process. Yes. Yeah. I'm trying to stay, uh, uh, excited really. You know, mm-hmm. keep the studio exciting. And uh, what happens, uh, what can happen when it's like I'm in the work 
is, you know, a day goes by, a month goes by, and I start to feel like I'm slipping into this different kind of time, you know, where it's like I'm in painting time, Mm -hmm. you know, and I like that place, you know, I want to go there, stay there as long as possible. Mm -hmm. And then when the painting comes to an end, you know, sometimes there's a moment of satisfaction followed by like a chasm of self-doubt and dread, you know, and then it's like, I got to work my way back into another painting. You know, so uh, if that makes any kind of sense, uh, but it is about how do I how do I keep things, you know, alive for myself in the studio? And I, I really want to make better painting. So it's mm-hmm. like I'm trying to inform myself uh, in all the ways that I can from my experience, you know, get up and do some reading, mm-hmm. <laughs> set an alarm, get up, do some reading, you know, and hopefully that stuff, you know, filters in. And so, yeah. And it's like, kind of like scheduling that. Is that something that also is really kind of important then in terms of keeping, keeping everything kind of organized and being able to kind of work through that? Cause again, yeah, you got to show up. You bring up kind of like one of the more difficult problems too, is that idea of self doubt. So again, it seems like you've got a, a you know, you, you have to set up your life in a way to kind of make sure that you kind of stay on point. Right. What is the self? Who am I? What am I doing here? So that, so that makes sense. So again, it's always trying to find a way to get to stay in that mode. Um, and also to kind of make sure that you're, you know, stable enough to. Right. It's a great, it's a great place to be. I think, you know, where it's like, I, you know, where I feel like, you know, the ideas are coming up, you know, and they're, they're out there and they're looking for you too. You know, you're looking for the ideas, but they are looking for you. Are there any like particular places that just kind of just jump in there and uh, interrupt that in terms of like, like, uh, things that you'll take inspiration from, dare I say a, a dirty word inspiration, but you know what inspiration I mean? Inspiration like, is it, dirty. We're we talking about like watching, so dirty. watching the news. We're talking about like, um, just kind of randomly walking around. Are there any like kind of surprising things that people would think of? Um, I'm not sure. But there is a way in which, like, entering something new into the work becomes really surprising. Like, can I surprise myself in the work? You know, or how do I learn? How do I learn to accept something in the work that you know makes me uncomfortable? You know, that kind of that kind of thing, where it's like, uh, uh, you know, everything's not all tied together in a nice, neat little bow. You know, and maybe that's an escape route, but also it's a way back in, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean. Uh, you know, strictly speaking, if you look at my work, I'm not someone who's like overly obsessed with like controlling everything that's there, you know? So it's like, they are, they are kind of like a series of failed paintings in, in some, in many ways, you know? And it's like those, those moments of, of failure where it's like, I don't bother to actually move like maybe figures in the background, uh, beyond just like a kind of uh, perfunctory kind of like mark making, you know, something like that, where it's like the image itself crumbles and dissolves. Right. But then those marks, uh, work in the larger context, you know, until you look at them directly, mm-hmm. you know, something, something like that, uh, as a way of, uh, uh, potentially finding my way back in, you know, to even very old paintings, you know, another way to do that is to just like, you know, take a roller with paint and, and then just do a big red X, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, paint out, 
destroy something, sure. you know, and that, and I do that too. throw pain at it, you know, do something that you act in a way that you wouldn't normally act, you know, inhabit a body that you wouldn't normally inhabit. What, um, what kind of materials do you, do you typically like using? I mean, are you using like a mixture of, of acrylic and oil paint? It's pretty much all oil these days, but I have used a acrylic and then transitioned into oil in the past and have also used acrylic oil acrylic oil acrylic oil mm-hmm. yeah I, you know a uh, uh, collage right in the painting sometimes and then you know torn off and painted over and mm-hmm. masking tape and uh you know some of the earlier paintings are definitely not archival and if you own one of those i'm so sorry <laughs> email me <laughs> You know, because I'm masking tape just doesn't hold up. Right. You right. know, and I would do things like I would like something in a painting, put masking tape on top of it, and then continue the painting, but then never peel it off. You know, so I'm positive that there are paintings out there where the masking tape is falling off. These days, any of you interested in acquiring my work, I have much more archival techniques. <laughs> do you have a paint sponsor? The Oh, so the paint that I use, I love Robert Doak paint and I use mostly Robert Doak paint and I love Williamsburg paint and I use, I have a few colors that I'm kind of married to with Williamsburg paint, Rose Matter, I love you, Robert Doak paint and I like ordering from him. So (laughs) you can call him up and order directly from him. He'll answer the phone and talk to you and and, uh, troubleshoot. So this that makes sense, right? Because most other places you're not gonna you're not gonna get that no. that kind of service. So it sounds like it yeah. sounds like why you've made your decision. Um, but um, I I ask that too because I know there are some people become very very particular about materials and you know familiarity with it. Um, you ever switch to terrible paint just to mix it up? Well, there's some of that there too. If I if I get in a pinch, then I'll buy whatever. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not. I don't feel like I'm. Uh, ideological in that mm-hmm. sense about what I'm using or, you know, what happens in the image. You know, I really do want, you know, to follow the ideas and uh, follow like a way of working, mm-hmm. create a way of working, discover myself in the work, you know, and answer questions for myself <laughs> about who I am. <laughs> can I, can I read another poem? <laughs> Is that okay? Sure. Okay. I know I kind of messed up the last one, but I'll do better on this one, maybe. (laughs) Okay. This one's Walt Whitman. It's called Full of Life Now. Full of life now. Compact. Visible. I, 40 years old, the 83rd year of the States. To one a century hence, or any number of centuries hence. To you, yet unborn. These, seeking you. When I read these, I, that was visible, and become invisible. Now it is you, compact, visible, realizing my poems, seeking me, fancying how happy you were if I could be with you and become your comrade. Be it as if I were with you. Be not too certain, but I am now with you. It's hard not to cry when you read that one. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? You know what I love about Walt Whitman is he has such a contemporary voice. It's it's almost as if he could be writing, you know, right now. Let's mm-hmm. hang out, Walt. Well, shoot, is there anything uh, we we didn't go over or we missed? David, I just want to say thank you for having me on the podcast. I really enjoy listening to the podcast. I do listen to it in the studio while I'm painting. And uh, for those of you who are out there painting now, listening, you know, it's like, uh, let's get together and have an exhibition. What's up? 
Yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, and again, I I appreciate that. And obviously, I hope everybody uh, makes sure to check out, um, you know, the work online. Sure, there's tons and tons of stuff there. Where can people check out your work? My work is at Ann Nathan Gallery mm-hmm. there in the River North District. Mm-hmm. So I think it's 212 Superior Street is their address. So go there. Talk to Ann. Say hello. <laughs> And I guess just to make sure that we also address this, too, because you're on sabbatical, you describe these grueling days where you're uh, listening to music and podcasts and <laughs> putting yourself through hell painting. Um, is there something that you're kind of just working for? Or is it just just now this unbridled time to just kind of focus and just work? Um, is there a big show that, that is on the horizon, though? Uh, I'm delivering a commission um, to uh, the mayor's office in louisville kentucky my birthplace and it's pretty much there you know so that's really been the big push for the last four months or so Mm -hmm. and uh i always you know i liked i like deadlines i like schedules uh uh keep the deadlines coming (laughs) you know what i mean try and Mm -hmm. set deadlines for setting deadlines for myself really helps me Sure, sure. So it's like, uh, and but I'm also really excited to uh, kind of, you know, I still have some wrapping up to do with this, with this commission. Uh, but I'm really excited to get into the work that has kind of been forming, you know, ideas for paintings that have been forming while I've been working on this. And uh, uh, this last summer, you know, I did a residency in uh, uh, Lyon, France, and uh, there's some work that I made during that experience that I'd like to get back to and, and resolve. And, uh, so that's kind of what it looks like, you know, uh, right now. All right. All right. Is there any other place that people should, uh, check out your stuff, any social well, media stuff that you're all about, you know, oh, you're no. FaceTiming your paint. I don't no, know if you want to, <laughs> if you want to contact me, I want to be contacted and you can go to my website and my email is there. All right. So yeah, I don't really do the other, social media very much everybody tells me i should i believe them uh and then i don't do it i also have a gallery in salt lake city utah called a gallery and you can see my work there as well all right well again thank you for a very interesting uh I, again, I, I I like this whole uh, people dropping by, so maybe that'll be something that it kind of happens uh, more frequently. But uh, again, I, I appreciate you taking the time. So thanks yeah, for doing anytime. this. Thank you. Thanks once again to Ben Duke. You can check out his artwork at bendukeart.com and of course see it in person in Chicago at Ann Nathan Gallery. If you plan on ditching family dinner for a deal on a sweet TV this Black Friday, you might also consider backing Studio Break. Again, there's a donation button right on the homepage. We do have hosting costs, equipment fees, and other things like that that pop up so you can help us out there. You can also help me out tangentially uh, with some of the costs by visiting my website, davidlinaway.com under the work section. There will be a temporary folder of original paintings for really affordable prices. Um, Again, you might get some original artwork and also help out with some of the costs of doing a podcast for I don't know, going on five years I guess so please consider that and check it out at davidlinaway.com to any new listeners, please check out some of the archived episodes of Studio Break, 154 on studiobreak.com. Again, you can scroll back through the archives there. Each of our interviews have 
images of the artist's work, links to their websites for more information. So please peruse and check out what you might have missed. You'll notice there is an iTunes link, so you can easily go to iTunes and subscribe to the podcast and, again, peruse that way as well. If you want to help us get the word out about Studio Break, you can always leave us some comments and reviews in iTunes. Again, it just helps others from around the world discover this podcast, so we'd really appreciate that. Of course, you can also help spread the word by following our social media pages. We have a Facebook page, so please like it, our announcements, opportunities, and stuff like that. So please like our Facebook page. You can follow our Tumblr account, that's studio-break.tumblr. And last but not least, tweet us at Studio Break. Again, we love getting tweets from people everywhere, so please tweet us. Before we shove off, I do want to thank Skylar Mail for providing the music for Studio Break. He is, of course, a visual artist, musician, and extraordinary person. You can check out his work at SkylarMail.com. Once more, you can check out my work at DavidLinaway.com. And thanks once again for listening. We really appreciate it, and we'll talk to you real soon. <laughs>